Hey there, I'm Vicki Howell. Welcome to episode number two of Craftish. This episode is sponsored by Brooklyn Craft Company, a studio for modern craft and DIY classes in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, offering workshops for today's maker, including sewing, dyeing, knitting, jewelry, art, paper crafts, and epic craft parties. For more information, visit them online at brooklyncraftcompany.com. So I have a bit of a fabric problem. Even though I rarely have time to put any of it to use, I love fondling, collecting, and otherwise drooling over beautiful fabrics. So I'm pretty pleased as punch with today's episode. Our guest is Stephen Fraser, the co-founder of the wildly popular fabric printing website, Spoonflower. I chatted with Stephen from his home in North Carolina about everything from the intersection of craft and tech startups, the inspiration behind Stephen's decision to start a fabric printing company, and his affinity for post-apocalyptic zombie tool. So, even though that day's stormy weather caused a few issues with our connection that kind of affected the sound quality, the conversation itself is still pretty solid. And I love getting scoop from smart people about their creative businesses, and Stephen gave me just that. Stephen Fraser, thank you so much for being on Craftish. I appreciate it. Uh, I, thanks for having me. I um, wanted to have you on this podcast. Well, one, because I'm a huge fan of your business, both the model and the actual actuality of it. Um, but two, I was reading um, the introduction in your book, and something that you say at the end struck something in me because it's also one of the reasons that I wanted to do this overall podcast in the first place. But let me step back and start by um, telling the story of or mentioning the story. You say that there was a woman named Colleen who is a 70 year old friend of your family and something about her comment really struck you when you told her about your um, your new business. And I was wondering if you would read not only her quote, but then what you say after that as sort of kind of your mission statement for the business um, for that last paragraph in your intro. Sure. She raised her eyebrows with astonishment when I explained our new business idea. That's amazing. You know, all my life I've wanted to design fabric, really. When I lie in bed at night and I can't sleep, that's what I do. I design fabric in my mind. Colleen is not a designer or an illustrator. She doesn't have skill with a computer. She is a creative person, a person interested in self-expression and beauty and design and pattern. Many, many people share a passion for such expression. It's a thread that runs through many panels of their lives, perhaps showing up as cooking in one person, as gardening in the next. This book is about the joy of making something mingled with the challenge of learning new things. Thanks for picking it up. I can't wait to see what you do with it. I love that for so many reasons. Um, one, because for me, I think creativity is interconnected and the way you express yourself is the only difference between... Um, and I think that that goes for music, film, knitting, crochet, and even being a creative entrepreneur. Um, I think there's great creativity in all of them. And I love that you strung that together. But I also love, um, you know, my mom is around the same age as Colleen. And I always tell the story of one of the reasons that I do what I do and, and try to inspire people to become creative and 
if they choose to make a living out of it, was that, you know, my mom had, you know, a master's in education, very well educated woman, but she chose to be home with us for a while. And this was back in the day and, you know, in the 80s, when clearly there's no internet or no cell phones or anything. And she wanted to make some extra money. And so she would sell, she would walk door to door trying to sell pillows that she sewed. And there's a lot of humiliation involved in that. There's a lot of rejection. You're making yourself extraordinarily um, vulnerable, you know, and not to mention she had to scrape together pennies to buy the fabric and all of that good stuff. And I just think, what if she, what if she had lived now or if she's still living, but what if she had been at that point in her life now with, you know, websites like your own that sort of like open up that world and platforms like blogs to have a voice in and, and Etsy. Um, and I wondered if you could speak a little to why out of, I'm sure you've had so many people say wonderful things about your venture, why Colleen's sticks out for you and, and why you use that as sort of an inspirational jumping point to launch this book? Yeah, you know, the, I think the thing that struck me the most about um, Colleen was that she articulated, you know, this desire that she had had in her mind for literally for, for years, you know, an, an activity that she probably hadn't given much thought to a mental activity of creating repeating patterns. And um, there's, there was just something that was compelling to her about that. Um, I, I'm thinking of it, you know, it's a, a sort of a mental exercise, a slightly perhaps less mathematical and more visual version of a crossword puzzle, just mm-hmm. something you know, some activity that engages the mind. And, and, and again, you know, a particular kind of mind, a very creative, um, expressive, uh, experimental mind. That, and, and that's, you know, Colleen is that kind of person. Uh, all her life she's been very creative. Um, she's actually, uh, she's about to turn 80 now. And um, she's finishing her first novel. So anyway, just, but it, what, what struck me about that was that, you know, I Gart and I, uh, Gart is my uh, co-founder with whom I started Spoonflower, you know, almost unwittingly had stumbled into this activity that, um, you know, was almost primal. It, like, it already existed in people's brains. There was just nowhere for it to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, so anyway, that, that's why I started with, with Colleen. And, and, you know, she really is kind of, a, I think, a stand-in. Um, for someone in your case, you know, your mom, but you know, we've all known these, these, you know, very creative people who were not, you know, that wasn't their profession. I mean, they've engaged in this kind of experimentation all their lives with activities that all together constitute a kind of creative self-expression, but they are not themselves artists or designers. They haven't explicitly been um, artists. Right. And I I think what's so fascinating and wonderful about the time that we're in right now is that because we have so much access to information, we also have access to almost a sense of permission given by just the ethos of creativity to be creative without having to be, quote unquote, good at it, whatever that means, or to be an official artist or whatever that means, or to even, you know, be a professional, whatever that means, you know, and I believe that Spoonflower um, has really sort of helped um, nurture that ethos. Um, was that your Was that your hope when you first founded it? 
Um, uh, it certainly was, and I'll, I'll tell you kind of where where that came from. Uh, for me, <clears throat> you know, I think um, probably as a younger person, um, I graduated from high school in 1988, so I was I was a you know sort of a pre-internet uh, person in terms of when my personality was formed. Um, and you know, I think I, I probably was a bit of a, a, a snob. You know, I was the kind of person who uh, I didn't think more people needed to publish books. I thought fewer people needed to publish books. You know, I, I was I was snooty in that way. I worked in a bookstore. If you can imagine the record shop from High Fidelity, right. it was kind of yeah. a bookstore equivalent. That's so funny because I was just going to reference say anything. So we've got John Cusack on the, <laughs> <laughs> on the general vibe. Yeah. Um, so you know that that was kind of that was kind of where my head was, you know, when I was uh, in my twenties and <clears throat> around the time um, I started my thirties, uh, which was you know really just after the first internet boom. I went to work for my first internet startup, and it was uh, based here in North Carolina, um, near to, to Spoonflower, uh, and it was called Lulu.com, and um, you know, it was uh, this is a company that was owned by someone else, a very creative entrepreneur named Bob Young. But actually, Gart, uh, my Spoonflower co-founder, and I both both worked there. And when we actually when we when we started Lulu in two thousand two, it wasn't clear what Lulu.com was actually going to be. But what it eventually wound up being uh, was a platform for people to publish their own books. So you know, the world's first kind of internet-based self-publishing platform where it was completely free to publish. So how do you feel about that? Because that's the polar opposite of what you... Right, right. That was the opposite of kind of where where the kind of person that, you know, know, I had been um, years before. And it really took me a bit to come come around to this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I I remember talking to, you know, uh, other sort of English major types and they were absolutely more, you know, trying to explain this, you know, democratic publishing technology based publishing platform which all seems very obvious now but you got to remember this is before youtube or anything else so you know still still kind of a, a novel concept and, and by the way you know blogger uh had just started you know a couple of years before so the whole concept of blogs was very young and um and you know my my non-technology sort of English major friends would nod and nod and then they'd finally sort of something would go off in their mind and they'd say, you mean just it's just self-publishing? It's just vanity publishing? And um, so I, I began to develop kind of a whole argument against that way of looking at it. And, uh, you know, it was distinct from vanity publishing in my mind because, uh, well, it didn't, it didn't cost anything to publish mm-hmm. a book. Uh, so it wasn't preying on the sort of vanity and optimism of people who wanted to publish their own books. It was providing a neutral, uh, democratic platform where people could put content out there and, and other people could either buy it or not buy it. If it was useful or not useful was really not a judgment that anyone could make. It was sort of an ecosystem um, that allowed useful content to come to the top. And, and of course, the similarity there between Lulu and Spoonflower was that um, when someone bought a copy, one was printed on demand, exactly right. one of one book. So there was no, no minimum. And, um, and I began to really see not just um, the power of that, uh, w- but the virtu- virtue of it. Um, 
what you were in essence doing is <clears throat> kind of taking human judgment out of this process of deciding what could be published or what, what had be value. Published. And you were simply making, putting technology at the service, e the equal service of everyone. And, um, and I thought that was a, a really powerful idea. And of course, Bob Young, who owned Lulu.com, had um, prior to Lulu, he'd started a company called Red Hat, which was mm -hmm. open source software company. Yeah. And so some of this was coming out of the open source movement. And um, Lulu didn't try and own any of these books. They were all owned by the people who published them. And, and we were just the platform. And um, anyway, you know, that, that idea really kind of changed my life and changed my thinking. Did you and, like the uh, empowerment uh, aspect of that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, I, and I, I saw it firsthand in the community of people who, who kind of grew up around using uh, Lulu.com and whether it was, you know, people had these niche subjects um, that they became masters of or people who you know, took their genealogical research and put that all online for other people to see. Um, all, all, all these really powerful examples were there for me. And um, so I, I left Lulu, um, I guess it was uh, 2006, and, um, you know, kind of messed around with being a consultant for other internet startups. And uh, the, um, yeah, my, my wife during this time was becoming more and more into sewing. And I'm buying a lot of fabric online yeah. and blogging about it. And I was really So she blogged. At that point, she was a blogger. She was, yeah. And um, you know, this is uh, sort of in the 2007 time. And, and this great website, Etsy, had just come on the scene. And um, you know, I was really fascinated by that. And uh, you know, so it was during that time when you know, one night after the kids went to bed, Kim said, you know, it'd be really cool is if I could, if there was some place where I could design my own fabric. Like I have a picture in my mind, right? you know, and if I, I could explain it to someone or draw it on a piece of paper, you know, uh, uh, and they could print it, you know, it would be perfect. And, um, and I thought, hmm, you know, that's, that's pretty much exactly what we did at Lulu. And I, you know, that relies on this, you know, something called uh, digital manufacturing technology, which, you know, another one example is on-demand book printing. Another example is 3D printing. Mm -hmm. Another example is text, textiles for us. But I thought, well, there's got to be something like that for textiles. Does but I had Spoon no idea. Sorry, does, does Spoonflower offer the um, design consultation or design services? So I just heard you say, I wish I could just explain it. Yeah. <laughs> because I know a lot of people, and look, I, I have a few hidden um, designs on your site where I was just trying to turn, um, I'm, I'm primarily a knit and crochet wear designer and I've tried to turn some of my, you know, knit wear designs into fabric and then it just, it's not laying right or whatever, or the lighting's wrong or whatever. And so I'm wondering if, cause there is a little bit of a learning curve and you've had wonderful, you had a workshop with Denise, um, Schmidt, who's an amazing quilter to teach how to design fabric and you're really giving people the tools, but I'm wondering if there's also the other aspect where you could, you know, for a fee say, you know, here's a couple of swipes, which are just like tears from a magazine. And here's kind of a really rough sketch of what I'm thinking. And then it could be a collaboration in that way as well. Yeah, you know that that's a a fantastic idea, and I think um, you know there are a lot of sort of uh, people who do that on a service, sort of, you know, fee for service basis. It's not really a technology business, right? Right, and, and that's Garden, where your interest is. Yeah, you know that's that's what Garden and I knew how to do. You know, we 
we felt very confident, even though we didn't know anything about design uh, or fabric or printing, actually, at the beginning, uh, you know, we felt very comfortable building a technology business where uh, it was, you know, it was a tool and um, uh, that, we, that we had to focus on. So that's the way Spoonflower evolved. And, of course, many of the people who use Spoonflower, the designers, formally or informally offer that kind of design consulting. And, you know, eventually we, we ended up writing our book, uh, you know, to try, to try and provide a little bit of that introduction to people who who are not coming from a a technical design background so they can right you know create stuff using photos from their digital camera for example or a scanner and i love that there's a balance i'm flipping through the book right now i love that there's a balance of obviously there's a balance of projects between you know wallpaper wrapping paper fabric all the things that um your platform enables people to do but for me spoonflower really is a crossover between um it really hits the sort of like artisanal artisanal world, like that whole demographic. I don't even want to call it a demographic, but we're sort of at this interesting point where technology and creativity sort of do this interesting dance together. And your book really encaptures that in a way, I think, because there is the very formal sort of, you know, tutorials of how you work with Photoshop or whatever you know, photo program you're working with, but then also you're creating these beautiful, tangible, some kind, sometimes old worldly, sometimes modern looking finish pieces. And that makes me think about, you know, when we were kids, cause I, I graduated in 92, so we're, we're pretty close in class. Um, I think about our job fairs <laughs> and I think about like there, there would have never, if you think about creative jobs, like there were the kids that were in art class and they were going to art school. And then there were the business kids and now I wonder, you know, I have teenagers. I'm looking at a picture of your girls. You're going to have teenagers soon yeah. if, you don't, if, if that picture is recent. Well, the, right, the oldest one is not in the picture. Yeah, she is 17. So okay, I'm, so, yeah. so <laughs> I'm wondering if companies like you are going to revolutionize the school job fair. I'm wondering now if kids realize that you can be creative and also be in STEM, also, you know, be studying technology and how expansive that's going to be for our, just our overall collective. I, I I totally agree, and I, I I think that really is kind of where the collective consciousness is at, and cer- certainly in the U.S. and and I'm sure not not only here, but um, my youngest kid is eight, so um, she's in second grade, and the you know the most popular activity for her and I think all her classmates is maker time, uh, which they do once a week, and they bring in you know a lot of cardboard, but yeah. really you know, plastic, anything, you know, wires. They have, um, the other day they were working with um, little LED lights and, and batteries uh, and learning how to, you know, create a little circuit to light up the battery as part of, you know, a piece of artwork that they were doing. Is this at um, school? They, it's at school, yeah. So they just spend like a couple of hours fantastic. a week gathering stuff together and making things. And, you know, they're supposed to plan it and keep a notebook and all that stuff. <laughs> But um, but I I see it all over. I and actually um, I just got back from kind of a vacation, and um, you know I spent it. Uh, this sort of reflects one of my interests. But um, I spent it touring uh, artisan distilleries, which are kind of springing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the wake of uh, artisan uh, microbreweries for uh, beer. What, what type? Whiskey. Uh, gin? Whiskey. Yeah. yeah, whiskey. And um, and you know it, it, these are like the the little manufacturing hubs and they remind me of Spoonflower when we started you know entrepreneurs who've scraped together money 
you know, picked out an, an abandoned building in an industrial area that yeah. hasn't been used for years, and they're creating little manufacturing operations uh, for, you know, in their case, um, whiskey. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, there's just all this entrepreneurial activity around making, but it's on, it's on kind of a different scale. It's really an artisanal scale. Is that some someplace you see you starting a new business within that, <laughs> that artisanal niche? Yeah, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> that would be fantastic. You said um, in, I think it was an article for Mohawk Connects um, some years ago, that you see Spoonflower as a technology platform for creative people. Have you had any um, pushback on trying to marry the two terms? Uh, on trying to marry technology with creativity? Mm-hmm. Yes. Especially even, um, I'm assuming I, that you're trying to raise money, for, like VC money or, or whatever. Just, I mean, um, so either we, um, from, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, I don't think we, we didn't get pushback on that. When we, when we started and we, when certainly when we started, we were pretty much desperate for money because neither Garden nor I uh, started the business with, with much money, Um which, by the way, you know, we've kind of evolved beyond that, and we we did, you know, seven years into the business, finally accept some money last summer. Um, That's a big deal. Congratulations! Yeah, it was it was a big deal. I mean, it was a huge vote of confidence for what we had built in the community and the business that that had grown up around Spoonflower. Um, so it's it's always very. Um, exciting when people that you know are smart, you know, because yeah. you always ask yourself, yeah, yeah. like, am I really smart or am I a complete idiot for doing <laughs> this, all this uh, luck? And, um, you know, people who are such accomplished business people come and, and invest in the business. It's it's really exciting. Well, and you said in your book that um, that one of your investors uh, was a relative of your ink supplier who gave <laughs> you a personal loan. That just kind of blew my mind. I mean, that truly speaks to not only how people perceive you as a human being, but how your entire, you know, plan, your structure, your company structure is viewed. Yeah, uh, right. We were, we were scrimping together pennies, you know, and at the beginning. Um, but the one thing that we always had going for us, and I think the people who were paying attention could really see it, um, is there was all this excitement, uh, in the community of customers and potential customers. Spoonflower was this hot happening idea. We were getting emails and notes and posts from people saying, you know, oh my God, I love what you're doing. You know, it's, it's so amazing. You know, it's changed my life. And so, yeah, for, that was easy for people on the inside to see. But, you know, if you were standing in front of a group of investors who didn't know anything about sewing and had never bought fabric in their lives, which is most of them, right. um, they'd say, what are you, you're doing t-shirts, right? No, we're not doing t-shirts. It's just fabric. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of a hard sell, but yeah, on on the inside, it it was always really exciting. Did you ever consider, um, you also mentioned, um, you kind of sort of joked about how it would make more sense for the likes of a Tim Gunn to start Spoonflower rather than yourself who has a, you know, a background in technology and, um, entrepreneurial development. Have you ever thought, or during this time when you were trying to raise or continue to raise Capital. Have you ever t- thought about doing some vanity lines to help? I mean, getting Tim Gunn to come on and do a small collection of fabric. 
We have thought about that. I mean, I, I think that's a that's a good idea. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, Spoonflower both benefited and was probably hampered by having two people like Gard and I running it um, for all those years and bootstrapping the business. Um, so we we were always kind of defaulted toward what we knew, and neither of us really knew what it was like to do these licensed agreements. I mean, the closest um, thing we, we you know, ever did was, you know, we would have periodically somebody who was pretty w- well-known, like Heather Ross right, is a right. pretty well-known designer. Yeah. And early on, she would do put out some of her out-of-print designs on Spoonflower, and that was a huge, huge deal for us. But, you know, now Spoonflower, you know, Spoonflower is really in the hands of professionals now. <laughs> you know, we have, um, you know, new marketing director and professional people working there who are bringing a lot of other experience. And I expect, you know, you'll see all kinds of interesting stuff come, come out in the next year or two or three. Do you consider yourself creative? Uh, I hope so. Uh, you know, if, if, there, if there was any doubt about that, I think we put it to rest in the way that we grew Spoonflower because we had to be so very creative just to keep going right. from one day to the next. Um, you know, learn, learning how to, uh, you know, keep printers running. And, you know, I was buying print heads on Alibaba before anybody in this country <laughs> had heard of Alibaba. Yeah. And, um, you know, taking them apart and hacking the pieces to put them into the printers just to try and keep them running. So, there was an enormous amount of creativity and improvisation required uh, to get through the early years of Spoonflower. Yeah. So I, I feel pretty good about that. Well, and uh, marketing is it requires, especially marketing today, marketing so different today than it ever was before, but it requires a lot of creativity. It does. And, and you know, of course, we. I mean, you, you could argue that really, you know, the creativity, I mean, we were surrounded by creativity from, from day one because of the way people were using the platform. And that's really the, the was the p- most powerful marketing engine is that, you know, these incredible examples of the, it was all customer driven and, you know, some of the most creative, talented people in the world. I mean, I, I you know, would defy anyone to find a community of customers with a greater concentration of, of just sheer talent and, and, awesomeness than the Spoonflower community. Absolutely. I'm always, you're very clever in the way that you send out your marketing emails and they're always thematic. Um, and I'm a total sucker for theme. <laughs> and I'm just blown away at the sort of like rabbit hole that you can go down once you once you click in, which I'm sure is good job, by the way, you click Thank in you. and you can dig, dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you see like, oh, well, if I add squiggles to the search term, then where's that going to go? <laughs> Um, but that in and of itself, a sort of as a customer, opens up a creative realm in your brain that wasn't there before, too, because your your mind expands by seeing other people's, this collective, their creativity there. I think that's so important, you know, that, and, and I think, you know, in some ways what you're describing is, is, the, is what drives Pinterest as well. Yeah. Um, so really, you know, we tried to think about Spoonflower when we designed it, certainly when we designed our marketing and our emails and our contests, we really thought all the time about inspiration. Like, how do you just, our goal, our task is not to, to convert customers or get people to buy something for, you know, 15% off or whatever. It's really about, ins- our goal is to inspire people and to get the wheels turning in their heads about things that they might want to do, things that they might want to sew, fabrics they might want to use when they redecorate this room or 
recover that piece of furniture or things that they might want to design. And uh, you know that 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 was really always our goal, and that was uh, I think we we succeeded in that. And um, you alluded to the themes. I mean, a, a big part of that we we did this almost from the the first months of our existence, uh, a weekly design contest that anyone right. could enter that had a. Those a have theme been huge changed. for you, or at least they look like it from the outside. Yeah, yeah, it's a great tra- tradition, and um, you know we never repeated a, a theme. Really? Uh, which became d- difficult, you know, after 350 weeks or so. Yeah. Um, my favorite recent theme was one we did for Halloween, which was post-apocalyptic twall. That, that uh, was a good, that was a solid, a solid call yeah. on your part. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. So, um, yeah, I don't know how, how the contest will evolve. I mean, at some point, you know, everything evolves. But, uh, you know, that, yeah, it was a huge, huge part of Spoonflower culture and something that we me in particular, we just had so much fun with. I hope you have that as a tagline on your business card, like purveyor of post-apocalyptic Right. <laughs> because honestly, that is the best, the best one-liner that you can have as a businessman. Yeah, I, I need to write that down so I get that printed. But I, you know, sometimes, yeah, when, again, when, kind of when I'm talking to people who don't really buy fabric or don't really understand the Spoonflower community, one of the sort of shorthand ways to describe it for them is the world's leading source of zombie fab- fabric. I mean, really, what else do you need to say besides that? You could drop the mic and then back away slowly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody else comes close. You know what's interesting? I mean, nobody else comes close, but really it's kind of surprising that you're, what, six, seven years into your company, seven years into your company now? Eight, eight years eight now, Eight years yeah. into your company, and you really don't have much competition. I mean, you've got a zazzle that you could technically get something printed. It's not the same. You don't have any direct competition, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, I think, I mean, Spoonflower, especially in the last year, um, we're starting to see the competition heat up. And, you know, as you say, some of it's kind of indirect. Um, So it might be a similar product or not exactly the same product, although there are certainly people just doing fabric. Um, But, you know, you, you have people who are taking the same, you know, some of our, they're they're courting the same designers and the same style of things, and and so we we've really seen an increase in competition, which I think people have kind of wanted to emulate what we were doing for a while, um, and which is you know the sign of a good idea. I yeah. mean, you you know you Im- imitation is certainly a form of flattery, but um, the technology, the same technology that allowed us to sort of expand and you know. We're confident, gave us enough confidence to take on outside investment this year. You know, the technology is catching up. Right, right. Do the women in your life, your three daughters or, or your wife, have any um, say over the aesthetics? Or well, it doesn't just need to be the aesthetics, but the overall look or even um, what product areas you tackle next? Uh, n- not really, uh, although they are certainly always... Um, willing to offer opinions, and yeah. my daughters in particular, um, lobby for you know the obvious horses uh, as themes and uh, projects, mermaid tales, yeah. for example, which is um, a project we did for the blog. Um, and at the beginning, actually, Kim was uh, our customer service department. Um, so, yeah. is she out of that gig now? Uh, lot, Was she able to get out of that? With ever? Me. Yeah, she, <laughs> That's she, a tough gig. Yeah, after a few years, it was a very tough gig. 
especially since you know mostly she was stuck doing it you know in those little downtimes between kids doing other stuff sure um so uh yeah that was all by it's kind of by necessity you know because we at the beginning um didn't i mean you know we didn't have employees right. uh, at all right so um but she she was actually very good at it and she did influence uh you know decisions about you know what kind of resources we needed to offer people and you know usability things she was sort of a key conduit to you know i say she was the customer service department gart was the engineering department fortunately they sat across a plastic table from one another you know a folding <laughs> table yeah and um so uh yeah she you know she was super influential but she she was you know once, once we actually had money to hire people and um uh, we built up a staff um she was more than happy to leave that does she still behind. blog you know she doesn't blog a lot of people wish she would she makes hats now that's her thing oh She's millinery oh that's fascinating are they up anywhere for people to see excuse me not yet all right i oh. think an, i think an etsy shop is coming um but right now there's just a big room full of hats is her ever ever is her name the same is her last name the same as yours uh yes uh although trying to remember what she was planning to call the Etsy shop. Well, if she comes, if she decides and comes back before we um, broadcast this, probably it'll be in April. Um, we'll put a link to that store in the show notes. Um, okay. Excellent. That is the one, like one of the few that and tatting are probably the two crafty um, genres that I've never dabbled in. And I'm fascinated by it. Really? Um, yeah, it is super fascinating. She's, she's got the hat blocks all over the house. He's some of them really old. To yeah. Do, which is Oh, those are collector items. You know, um, Mm -hmm. you have three kids. I also have three kids. I have two boys and a girl. And um, I just wanted to share something personal with you that um, my middle son, who's 14 now, he when he was nine, he was having seizures and he had uh, pediatric epilepsy and he has fortunately grown out of the seizures, um, which is wonderful. But during um, during school. That kind of dark time, um, one of the ways that I could get him out of sort of the funk that happens after seizures was um, to get him drawing. And it didn't even matter if it was any you know good. It was just sort of the it helps with their fine motor skills and also just helped him sort of calm down. And we went through this period where he was drawing some ninjas. I had a um, a charity called Purple Stitch Project that made these purple ninjas uh, for kids um, with seizure disorders for a while. And he was drawing them and um, he drew some and we scanned them. Um and uh, made fabric through Spoonflower. Oh, awesome! Of them. Yeah, that's great. And I we got the fabric back, and I made a pillow for him, and he still has that pillow. But um, and him him getting to open up that package and see his work, you know, he needed a triumph. And I really feel that that's something that your company lent. But what was really sort of like the kicker for me was that there was a personal note on it from whomever had packed it up, just said, great job, you know, great job. This is so cute. And, you know, so I could say to him, you know, a professional design, you know, I don't know what I said to him, but I said, look, you got, you got Spoonflower's attention with your design. And I just think um, those personal stories, I think um, just judging by how we started this with the personal story of your friend, Colleen, I'm hoping this will be another one that will, uh, 
that will keep you keep you smiling you. and on your way. Yeah, that that is amazing. And actually it reminds me of something that I haven't said because I talked about how amazing and creative our community of customers uh, is, which is true. Um, our employees are also creative, amazing people. And it's it's not they're not unrelated because we we hire people who love Spoonflower yeah. already. So we've hired so many people who already knew about Spoonflower and were customers or designers themselves. And um, it's just it's just such a, a passionate group of people and they're they're themselves artists and they're, you know, spare time and entrepreneurs and you know Etsy yeah. sellers and designers. Um, many of them, not all of them, but but many of them. And um, do you nurture that as part of your culture? We do. We we try. We have um, uh, a green green what we call the greenhouse, which mm-hmm. is a room at Spinfar that's devoted to um, sewing classes and um, you know and just times when people can come together and sew things and make things. Mm-hmm. We sometimes they'll get together and make things for charities. It's open a few times a month. There's a calendar on the site. People from outside Spoonfar can come in and employees give them tours. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do for a lot of sort of free classes and talks and that kind of thing. But, um, and, you know, employees get free fabric. Yeah, that's good stuff. That right there is a perk, perk in and of itself. Okay. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and some of them, you know, I'm thinking of one in particular, you know, she, she's sort of, um, her whole thing is is art from stuff that gets recycled. So she right. does amazing things with like fabric scraps and and there's a um, fashion show devoted to reuse, like fashion made from yeah. from stuff yeah. that material that's been reused um, that's here in Raleigh every year, and we sponsor that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I I mean I think we we make a real effort to try and you know build um, activities around those things, which is, you know, very much, again, it's sort of an overlap between what our employees are interested in and what they love to do and what our, our customers also uh, are interested in and love to do. Yeah. Well, Stephen, it has been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, Thank I really, you. I really enjoy your company. Are you coming to South by Southwest? Uh, not, Interactive? Not this year. No, I've done it in the past. Are you? Is there something that you're participating in? That well, I live. Um, by the time this airs, it will have already been over. But um, I live in Austin. Oh. Um, so, but oddly enough, it wasn't until last year that I actually participate. My husband, one of his jobs is a film critic, so he, I was always on kid duty during South by. Um, right. And right. but so last year we uh, we switched, and I was just blown away by what was in my own city this whole time. So I, I'm a mentor for um, the interactive um, part this year. So um, I'll be, cool. I'll be doing that, but um, it's, it's, it's such a great resource. Um, I find that I'm still quoting from sessions that I sat in on last year. Yeah. I, I have found it the couple of times that I've been uh, to be hugely inspiring and, and I didn't want to even go you know, as a business thing. I just wanted to go and be a sponge. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And soak up all the, really interesting people who are there. So have fun. I'm Thank envious. you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, if you ever come back for one, please, uh, please uh, reach out. Be fun. Uh, I will. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vicki. Take Bye. care. Stephen's best-selling book, The Spoonflower Handbook, a DIY guide to designing fabric, wallpaper, and gift wrap is available in stores and online now. 
For more information, please check out this episode's show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. Craftish is produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Thanks again to our sponsor, Brooklyn Craft Company. Whether you live on the East Coast and you want to attend one of their classes, or you simply want to be inspired by pretty pictures of crafty awesomeness, check out their website, brooklyncraftcompany.com. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, don't forget to head over to iTunes to rate and review it. Doing so really helps us get more visibility, which means that more people can find us. So we really appreciate your help. If you're interested in any of my other projects, please check out my website, vickihowell.com, or follow me pretty much everywhere on social media at Vicki Howell. Please tune in to episode number three, our next episode, with my guest, New York Times bestselling author of Knitlandia, Claire Parks. Until next time, don't forget to make time to nurture, pursue, and otherwise just wallow in the glory of your craft, whatever that craft may be. I'll see you next time.